Keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. Keep on the sunny side of life. It will help us every day. It will brighten all the way. If we keep on the sunny side of life. Hello, welcome to a six-string hayride podcast. A journey through the world of classic country music with your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. We will be covering all of the great topics in country music, from mama to prison, to dancing, to drinking, to guitar picking, to all the crazy deal with the devil, hockey talking stuff you do on Saturday night, and how you try to get it past your Lord on Sunday morning. So climb aboard the cart and let's go. This episode, we are going to be talking about the man who took the early country music and got it to the masses. That man is Ralph Peer. He was the executive producer who oversaw the blues record that sparked the genre, Mamie Smith's Crazy Blues. I can't he recorded the first blues record with guitar accompaniment, Sarah Martin and Sylvester Weaver's Longing for Daddy Blues. The first jazz piano solo, James P. Johnson's Carolina Shout. And the first released country record, fiddling John Carson's The Little Old Log Cabin in the Lane. While working as an A&R man at RCA Victor, 1926 to 1935, Peer established their lines of blues, jazz, country, and other regional vernacular releases, including Cajun, Calypso, Mexican Border, and Hawaiian. On July 25, 1927, everything in the world of country music changed forever. On that day in Bristol, Tennessee, the first day of what would become known as the Bristol Sessions was held. From July 25th through August 5th, recording sessions were held on the third floor of the Taylor Christian Hat Company on State Street. These sessions, which would come to be known as the Big Bang of country music, introduced the world to those who would become the first superstars of country music, the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers. This was the brainchild of one man. His name was Ralph Peer. Commercial recording of country music had existed since 1922, but those recordings and the ones that followed required the artist to travel to New York, something that wasn't always feasible for the so-called hillbilly artists. As a result, record companies such as Columbia and OK Records sent talent scouts to the South to discover new acts. One of the scouts for OK was Ralph Peer. Ralph left OK to move to the Victor Talking Machine Company, taking a salary of only $1 per year. However, he was to retain publishing rights to the music he was to record. His arrangement of paying royalties on a per-unit sold basis to artists remains the industry standard. Well, I, I have to get hold of some hillbillies and bring them up here and record them. How much money do you need? I don't think it's worthwhile to bring them up unless I do about 16 recordings. I'd have to give them about $400 for that and uh, take four people and probably cost uh, maybe $300 for traveling expenses. 
make any recordings for Victor at $25 a piece. He said, this is uh, it's just entirely too cheap. We couldn't, it might get out. And we couldn't stand that kind of publicity. Mm -hmm. But I want to make it $50 each. These sessions produced cuts by Jimmy Rogers, such as The Soldier's Sweetheart. Once I had a sweetheart, a sweetheart brave and true, his hair was dark and curly, his loving eyes. And sleep, baby, sleep. Sleep, baby, sleepy. For holy old bright eye. Listen to your mother, dear. Recorded on August 4th, 1927 and released on October 7th, 1927, and the first Carter family record, Poor Orphan Child. I hear a low, faint voice that says Papa and Mama's dead And it comes from the poor orphan child that must be closed and dead Recorded on August 1st and 2nd, 1927, released on November 4th of that year. Now, these are just a few of the songs that come to us from this series of recordings. And when you actually sit down and dig into these sessions and listen to the music that's available, and by the way, folks, you can really go find this just about anywhere online. A lot of this stuff is on YouTube. It's on whatever streaming service you like. You can go on Amazon and order the CDs. Uh, when you sit down and really listen to this, you can kind of hear what would become the genesis of popular country music for decades to come. Now, I can't pretend to be the resident expert on the Carter family. So I'll let Jim talk to you a little bit more about the Bristol Sessions, some of the other songs that were recorded by the other artists who participated. And, of course, he'll talk about the Carters. Jim, what should people be listening to? Oh, listen to the jingle, the rumor and the roar As she glides along the woodland or hills and by the shore She climbs the flowery mountain, hear the merry hobos fall She glides along the woodland, the wabash cannonball Through those early sessions in Bristol, Ralph Peer also goes on to record 
Ernest Stoneman with Mountaineer's Courtship. Ernest Phipps with Happy in Prison. Well, I'm happy in the prison. Yes, I'm happy everywhere. In my heart, I see the prison. Up in prison, in the fire. Oh, glory, glory. Prior to 1927, in these very early days of recording, you have people having to go to New York or any one of the other very rare places where there's access to this equipment. Ralph Peer takes it upon himself to not just be a, a brilliant pioneer in recording technique and a producer, but he's a talent scout. He's willing to drag the equipment around to where he hears there's music to be recorded. Uh, a few episodes back, we talked about the great Stan Phillips at Sun Studio. He will record anything, anytime, anywhere. That was the motto. Ralph Peer was doing that in 1927 chris had commented on here being also a, a big pioneer in the financial part of the record business the idea of royalties the idea of taking a small base salary against a huge percentage later on and ralph Peer is also a pioneer in getting the music out to the public through the recording work what Ralph Peer did is really that innovative and has had such a lasting impact on history that I think it's uh, fair to really compliment the man for those parts of his career and his accomplishments. He's not just a guy with a very early, well, it's not even a tape recorder. It's the Victor talking machine. Very often in the course of the Hayride podcast, we talk about the Victor Talking Machine, the Victor Recording Company, RCA Victor, and of course, one of the most famous corporate logos ever, uh, Nipper, the RCA dog. The story of the Victor Talking Machine and the Victor Company kind of starts with two French brothers and their dog. And much as I love the 1927 Bristol Sessions and all the songs from them, my favorite thing to talk about is dogs. So today I'm gonna to tell you about Nipper the dog. So if you have ever seen this logo from the Victor Records, um, and also then later for like RCA and Sony, um, there is a little dog with his head stuck in near uh, the horn of a gramophone. Um, and his name, he was based on a real dog whose name was Nipper. And Nipper belonged to um, a man in Bristol, England who worked in the theater, whose name was Mark Barad. 
and he was devoted to his master. And after Mark passed away, Nipper went to live with Mark's brother Francis, who was a painter. And he later painted a painting of Nipper with a gramophone. And this is that painting. So Francis Burrard painted this portrait of Nipper. And the idea, and it was called His Master's Voice, and the idea was is that he um, was listening to a recording of his master's voice and, and getting to hear his master after death. Um, this was later then bought. They asked the painter to replace the gramophone in the painting so that it was the exact one that the company wanted and it became the trademark logo for the company itself with the kind of, of actual player that would have been sold by them and it was then shown on all the labels. And you can see it on labels for these for records from the Victor Company. You can see it on Victrolas as the logo based on this painting that started from the love of a dog for his human. Francis, his brother Mark, like their dad, their uncle, and their grandfather were fairly well-known animal portrait painters of their time. This is England in the Victorian era in the 1800s. The idea that Francis would paint his late brother's dog is not really a stretch. It's something he was pretty much doing his whole life. Uh, so this is in 1898, and record players' phonographs are in their infancy. They were invented by Thomas Edison in 1877. In 1898, in London, Francis Barreau looks at his dog who's looking at the phonograph in a funny way because it's a voice, but there's no human attached to it. And he has the inspiration that becomes known as his master's voice. Now, Francis has the idea that he should go to the company that made the phonograph that he's using and try to sell it to them. So he goes to the Edison Bell Company in 1899, and he is rejected. And the gentleman there literally tells him, why would anybody think dogs listen to phonographs? Uh, okay. So the next stop is the Gramophone Company in May of 1899. And they give Francis Barreau 100 pounds for the original drawing, and for the copyright. They register that trademark in the United States and in Canada. And in 1901, that copyright is transferred to Eldridge Johnson, who works with the Victor Talking Machine Company in Camden, New Jersey. Mr. Johnson is an engineer and a machinist who is one of the very early pioneers in mass producing phonographs for the very new and very growing public market. Now, at this point, for recordings to be made, they're really using those large horn-type devices that you see in the early days as being the output or the speaker for the phonograph. So very much the same contraption that is absorbing the sound, that is needle etched into platter, the disc, it's the same device, that kind of horn that is pushing the sound out to the listener on their home Victrola as they become known through the uh, first part of the 1900s. 
the Francis Barrow painting of his late brother's dog, Nipper, that becomes known as his master's voice, becomes and, and is now one of the most iconic and certainly one of the oldest corporate logos. The original painting has been reproduced, has been spread all over the world. The other key ingredient in the Victor talking machine history occurs just a few years back in 1916. A gentleman named E.C. Wendt. He's a doctorate from Yale. He works for Bell Labs. He is developing a technique to record an audio signal onto film. Again, this is 1916. His development, the progress, the innovation that he makes is a capacitor that takes a voice and converts it to electronic signal. E.C. Went invents the condenser microphone. This allows the folks at the Victor Talking Company to experiment comparing the condenser microphone as an input device to the more traditional wide open horn that they'd been using to etch signal onto disks. It turns out that the condenser microphone truly is the better way of recording. The Victor Talking Machine people incorporate this technology into their disc cutting system. This allows Ralph Keir by 1927 to go portable because lugging a, a disc cutting machine around is difficult as it is. Uh, if you have a condenser microphone and you're not lugging around those huge fragile horn devices, you're much better off. And as rough as some of those early recordings sound now, at the time, this was the state of the art. The condenser microphone from 1916 combined with the technology that the Victor Talking people were using in the early parts of the 1900s, that's what really gives Ralph Peer the power to go on the road and work in Bristol in 1927. His epic 1927 Bristol Sessions the Big Bang of Country Music, where he discovered and recorded the original Carter family and Jimmy Rogers, was the foundation of modern country music as recognized by his induction into the Country Music Hall of Fame. The following year, he founded his publishing company, Southern Music, to promote and license additional usages of his composer's copyrighted songs. He was again innovative when he paid his composers royalties on the use of their music, something which was not customary at the time. In 1929, RCA buys the Victor Talking Machine Company. It becomes RCA Victor. Uh, again, with the Nipper mascot and logo, it just huge throughout the country music industry. Uh, they really were kings in terms of recording studios and the artists they had signed through the 1950s with people like Chet Atkins running the Nashville operation and doing a lot of the production. It's a fantastic story about two French guys and their dog, and it becomes a logo for the early days, pioneering, innovative recording company that's out there. Um, it's referred to Pierce technique is referred to as orthophonic, 
is you have the electric signal from the microphone coming in and cutting a groove into the disc. To try to incorporate this system into a commercial market in record players, in 1925, Western Electric develops a system where they fold that big Victrola horn into a wooden cabinet. It becomes the beginning of a horn-oriented speaker. This design really takes off a few decades later in the hands of the brilliant Paul Klipsch, who really makes his mark in the world with horn-loaded speakers. That's a story for another day. But that is how Ralph Peer did his thing, and that is why all of that equipment has that little dog on it. And uh, Chris, back to you. You know, there's another really important point that should be made about the invention and introduction of the condenser microphone, especially when we get to recording on magnetic tape. So if you go back and listen to a lot of the earlier recordings that were done this way in their original release formats, generally meaning 78s that were released at the time, they sound crackly and tinny and thin and distant and every other adjective you can use to describe a poor sound. However, because the masters were on a better quality product than we had the capability of truly listening to at the time, when you, when you sit down and play those same recordings now, you have nice, clean sound. Just because the 78 you grew up listening to at grandma's house cracks and pops, the master recordings don't have those same cracks and pops in most cases. So not only did the shift in recording technology allow for a, a more flexible way of recording at the time, down the road, it actually allowed us to hear those things as they were recorded and not as they were distributed through horror technological quality in the form of the 78 records at the time. The Jelly Jelly by Earl Hines. So I have a uh, just a standard record player. Uh, the needle is new. I just received it about a month ago, so that's in good condition. I have the treble set to about a medium setting, and the volume will just turn up a little bit here. And let's see what this sounds like. First time being played in 70 years. So at the end of January in 1928, 
Ralph founds his publishing company, which at that time is known as the Southern Music Publishing Company. This company played a vital role in the introduction of Southern music to the rest of the country. The successes continue through the 30s. Now, in 1940, the company once again finds itself in the right place at the right time when a dispute between ASCAP, uh, which is the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, uh, and radio stations led to the founding of rival group Broadcast Music Inc., which we refer to to this day as BMI. And Pearson found himself contributing a major part of BMI's catalog. So this carries his publishing company through the 40s, you know, still finding a tremendous amount of success. Now, during and after World War II, Peer publishes uh, such hits as Deep in the Heart of Texas. And we can listen to Gene Autry do a little bit of that here. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas, the prairie sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. The Three Caballeros by Bing Crosby. And as everyone should know by now, one of my favorites, the Andrews Sisters. Now, during that same time period, the Victor Talking Machine Company, now RCA Victor, goes on to have some nice associations with other major country artists who recorded for them, including Bill Monroe. And now we introduce our guest act for this evening on the Grand Ole Opry, Bill Monroe and his bluegrass boys from up in dear old Kentucky. And the number's a hot one, the Mule Skinner Blues. Let her go, Bill. On January 19th, 1960, Ralph Peer died at the age of 67 in Hollywood, California. The name of Southern Music Publishing was changed to Peer Music, and his widow, Monique Peer, became the CEO. The company survives to this day. In 1980, Monique retired and Ralph Peer II took the helm. He transitioned from CEO to executive chairman in January 2021, as his daughter, Mary Megan Peer, took over the role of CEO. Oh, can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a bitter home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. Chris, you're right. You know, Peer, an incredible ear for talent. And that business sense of his that was such an innovative thing in the late 1920s, you know, you mentioned he publishes stuff from Inotri and the Andrew Sisters and the Browns. Uh, my favorite from that period is the Les Paul Mary Ford record, Mockingbird Hill. When the sun and the morning peeps over the hill and kisses. 
there was no end to the man's sense of innovation and his ear for talent. And uh, Chris, listeners are going to thank you uh, with me right now for a nice ride through this man's life. Uh, incredible businessman and an incredible ear for music that's just really become the foundation in American music. Folks, this episode brings us another cocktail recipe from the John Wayne Guide to Cocktails. Thanks. Fill him up again. Uh, you buy me no drinks. The, the, the drinks are on the house of Cahansa. And I'm taking no drinks from you, you little squint. I'm buying the drinks. You can buy me a drink at your wake. And <laughs> not before. I'm buying. Chris is going to tell us about a bourbon and rum mixture called the Two Dukes. Two Dukes. So why Two Dukes? Well, of course, John Wayne is known as the Duke. But here we also have Duke Kahanamoko, uh, better known as the Big Kahuna, who is a competitive swimmer and the father of modern surfing. A five-time Olympic medalist, he became good friends with another Duke, John Wayne, and even acted alongside him in movies such as 1948's Wake of the Red Witch. The two shared a decades-long friendship and love of the ocean. This sun-filled cocktail is something the original Beach Boys might have enjoyed, all surf and spray. For this one, you'll need one ounce of light rum, one ounce of bourbon whiskey, two and a half ounces of coconut water, and a half ounce of fresh lime juice. Shake ingredients with ice and strain into a highball glass filled with ice. By the way, I'd like to point out for anyone who has not seen Wake of the Red Witch, you should absolutely search that movie out and watch it. Hands down, it is my favorite non-war John Wayne movie. Thank you for listening to the Six String Hayride Classic Country Music Podcast. As always, we'd like to remind you to please feel free to reach out to us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Or you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sixstringhayride. What we'd really appreciate is if you would visit patreon.com slash sixstringhayride. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash six string hayride in all instances of the above the number six is spelled out for these episodes featuring the john wayne cocktails we've been doing drink recipes so we'd like to invite everyone to send us an email to the aforementioned six string hayride at yahoo.com and give us your favorite six string drinking game what word or phrase do we say too much too often or just right that you should have to take a drink every time you hear and hopefully not die. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the six string hayride classic country podcast. We are here for all of your classic country rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music themed recipes and basically we are here to keep your musical circle rocking bopping and very much unbroken so thank you for sticking with us we will see you down the road real soon and again whether it's in your home in your community wherever it is you do your thing 
keep your circle unbroken. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you real soon. Oh, can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a bitter home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. One of these days, and it won't be long, I'll rejoin them in a song. I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne. No, the circle won't be broken by and by, Lord, by and by. Remember, the force will be with you always.